0: Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. -hmm. Mm -hmm. Rejoice. For your reward, Will be great in heaven. I'd open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter one, verse forty-two. John chapter one. I'm sorry, verse forty-five. John 1, 45. The whole chapter of first John of John's. Excuse me. The whole Gospel of John's fantastic. The first chapter is spectacular. One of the greatest. Uh, that chapter is one of the greatest things that has ever been written in the history of time. Uh, we're not going to look at the whole chapter tonight, but we are going to look at uh, several verses. John chapter one verse forty-five. While you turn there, I shared with you last week one of our church members passed away last week. Um, fought the fight and kept the faith, and he is in heaven with his uh, Savior today and happy as ever. Scott Robertson was his name. Scott's been a member here for for decades, and his service will be Tuesday at 11 o'clock. Tuesday at 11 here in the sanctuary. John chapter 1, verse 45, would you stand with me as we read God's word? Just a great story, by the way. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also write. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in him in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. Then he added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words. I pray you would open our hearts to understand them today. We thank you for Nathaniel. We understand his struggle. May you be glorified through these words. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We continue with our series this morning from the second season of The Chosen entitled uh, today, Come and See. Simply entitled, come and see. Is Chris back there? Did did he put the picture up? Okay, I want to show you or introduce you to the greatest toy ever made. Right there, boom, 1969, made by Mattel, of course. It's called a strange change toy. How about that? A strange change toy. Got this when I was a kid, I was five years old, 1969. Vintage year, by the way, great year, fantastic. And um, this toy was especially good. Now this is before Nintendo and all that junk. This is when toys mattered, you remember that? So when you got this toy, you've got this transformation device on there on, the, on your left. And then on the right is a, uh, an entire prehistoric uh, scene for you, uh, devoid of all animals. You add those and the water, you can put liquid in it. And then uh, down on the, on the uh, left bottom, you see the, uh, the magic cubes. They look like, um, not Skittles, uh, sun, uh, uh, Starburst. they look like Starburst. You can't eat them though, I'm sure I tried. But you take like that little fuchsia one there, the little orange one, you take the little cube, you put it in the magical transformation device and you push the button and it transforms into a dinosaur of some kind or a prehistoric monster. And uh, so you can do that one at a time with all of them and you place them in the scene and then you play with them like a regular toy. When you're done, you take each one of them and you put it into this little trash compactor kind of thing. It heats up and you see the little knob you turn and it compresses it back into that little uh, cubicle. I did that a million times. What a wonderful toy. Here's what's uh, magical about this toy. If you put it in the little transformation device and you came back a week later and saw what it transformed into, nobody would buy it. No kid wants that. We don't have a week to wait on anything. It's the fact that you get to watch it transform is what is so amazing. Well, today, you're going to see a man's life transformed in front of your eyes. His name was Nathaniel. I love these verses. Uh, Not just the speed at which the transformation happens, uh, but there's more to this story than you may know So let's look at it more closely. Just a few observations from what I just read to you while I go first in this passage, we see perhaps the most famous statement of skepticism in history. The most famous statement of skepticism in history. And you'll see this in verse 46 if you have your Bibles open there. If we can look at our passage, that's the fourth line down. So Philip comes to Nathanael and he says, I found him, I found the guy. And uh, I I found the one that's prophesied uh, and and what Moses prophesied about in the law. And and I found him and his name is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And the response of Nathanael is, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Now, needless to say, that was not ex- what he was expecting to hear. Because Nazareth was a nothing town. It was a tiny little town. It was such a nothing town. Maybe 200 people lived there. I mean, it was a really small town, and which is your typical town in West Texas, let's say that. Uh, just out in the middle of nowhere is where Nazareth is. And in the Old Testament, you know how many times Nazareth is mentioned? Zero, not one, never brought up before. In fact, if it weren't for Jesus, we wouldn't know anything about Nazareth at all. It would true, truly still be a nothing town to this very day. There was nobody famous from there, nothing, no great thing happened there. They didn't have any uh, uh, you know, World Heritage site, no waterfall or canyon. There was nothing in Nazareth. It's still to this day, there's not a whole lot there, uh, although it is a bigger town than it used to be. Do you know the fame, uh, uh, the claim of fame now of Nazareth? It went from being a nothing town to one of the most famous towns in all of history because it was a part of the name of Jesus. In the first century, you didn't have a last name, and so it was your first name, and uh, you, you were identified by your father, Jesus, the son of Joseph, but you were also identified by the town that you came from. In this case, he came from Nazareth. And so I think as soon... By the way, talk about fame to claim. The name of this city was placed on the placard above Jesus' head when he was crucified on the cross. In three language, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. So it went to, from being the most obscure town to the more, uh, literally if not the most famous town in history. When people ask me where I live... If they're not from this area, if they're from San Antonio or South Texas or Far East or West Texas, most of them have never heard of Azil. And if I say Azil, they just look at me with this perplexed look in their eye. And sometimes they'll say, Oh, <laughs> but I can see in their eye. They have no idea. They've never heard of that. But if you're outside of Texas in any other state, or if you're outside the country, and I've been to Uh, 29 or 30 different countries, if you say Azel to any of those in any country, they're all gonna respond the same way. You know, where's that? Nobody, they don't know where Azel is. So if I'm outside of the area and somebody asks me where I'm from, where where do we usually say? Fort Worth, because when they say Azel, where's that? I'll say, well, it's right by Fort Worth. And they'll go, oh, Fort Worth. So I just cut out the middle man and say, I'm from Fort Worth <laughs> because not a whole lot has happened in Hazel. Now, I love Hazel to death. I'm glad that I live here. It's now my hometown. have been here 23, nearly 24 years, and, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, but it's not a particularly famous place. And so when Nathaniel was told that the Messiah was found, and then... Philip identifies where he's from, from Nazareth. Frankly, Nathanael doesn't believe him. He just Im- immediately thinks, nah, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> Not him. Because Nathanael, we find out, is a very righteous guy. He's a pure, pure hearted guy. He's been longing for the Messiah as most Jews had. All of their life, he's been looking for him. He's studied all the prophecies about the Messiah as every faithful Jew did. And so he was looking for him. Who do you think, or excuse me, where do you think Nathanael expected the Messiah to come from? What What did he expect Philip to say? He's from where? Jerusalem. Yeah, somebody said Jerusalem. Of all places, I mean, that's the place. All the religious leaders were there. The, 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 the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, anybody who was anybody was from Jerusalem. The, the very heart, the, the, the city of David, the, the, the very center of Jewish theology, that's where the temple was and that's where the worship was and the animal sacrifices, every road led to Jerusalem. Had he said Jerusalem, I bet Nathaniel would have immediately believed. Or there's another town and because it mentions Old Testament prophecies both in the law of Moses but also the the prophets of the Old Testament. Philip mentions this to him that there are prophecies. He's the fulfillment of prophecies. What is the fulfillment of prophecy of where he's from? Bethlehem. You, You remember Christmas. Journey to Bethlehem. We don't have journey to Nazareth. It's journey to Bethlehem. Yeah, there you go. Bethlehem. And the reason is it's prophesied in the Old Testament. Bethlehem. So we know he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And Jews just, I think, assumed, Nathanael assumed, that because he's born in Bethlehem, he's from Bethlehem. And so it would be Jesus of Bethlehem. But he doesn't say that. He says Jesus of Nazareth, not Bethlehem, not Jerusalem. And Nathanael goes, nah, you got it wrong. Nathaniel was skeptical. And so he makes that now famous statement that we've used as a colloquialism throughout the centuries. What good can come out of Nazareth? It's nowhere, it's nothing. He was skeptical. One definition I found says this, the religious skeptic is someone who has serious doubts or who is noncommittal toward religion. Do you know people like that? Goes on to say, actually, religious skepticism is nothing new. The famous skeptics of Nathaniel, uh, uh, excuse me, the famous skeptics Nathaniel and Thomas were disciples of Jesus who had their doubts. And we'll get to Thomas a little later. Yet it does seem today that religious skepticism is growing more prevalent in the 21st century. David Kittleman, who's president of the Barna Group, writes in his book, his book is entitled Unchristian What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity and Why It Matters. He wrote this Many young Americans say life seems complicated, that it's hard to know how to live with the onslaught of information, worldviews, and options they are faced with every day. One of the specific criticisms young adults frequently make about Christianity is that it does not offer deep, thoughtful, or challenging answers to life in a complex culture. In other words, they see the Bible's answers to cultural issues as too simplistic. Society is too sophisticated to pay attention to the old-fashioned morals of the Bible. They reject the basic answers such as because the Bible says so and they fail to see that there are deeper reasons underlying the Bible's mandates. Here's what they're saying and this this is what our generation is thinking and so I think it's important that we understand this. That we live in a very complex, complicated world. It's true. Even since I... And I'm not that old, but even in my generation, grew up in the 70s, there was no such thing as the internet. Nobody owned a computer. If anybody wanted to contact you, they just had to wait till you went home and hope you answered the phone. And even then, in my family, they could get one of seven people and good luck finding the right one. You know, we were out in the yard playing or something or playing with my, my strange machine. And so it was a pretty simple world, but you go back a few more generations, our grandparents, great-grandparents, and great-great-grandparents, and from then on back all through the history of the world, there was no automobile, there was no advanced technologies of any kind. There was none of that. Now, they left, lived hard lives. My grandparents had hard lives, manual labor. My, both of my grandfathers died in the early 60s because they were just worn out. They were exhausted from all the physical labor but they didn't deal with the complexities of our our world today we're dealing with this this multicultural thing, and it's not a bad thing. It's just the reality of our world, where you have all of these religions, and all of these philosophies, and all of these worldviews, and they're coming together in this one melting pot. And we're trying to some say this is right, some they say this is wrong. And in all, in the midst all this confusion, our young people are growing up in all that complexity, and their statement is that the Bible is just too simplistic. On the one hand, they have a point. It is a complicated world. And by the way, I believe it is far more complicated than it needs to be and more complicated than God intended. That said, it is a complicated world. What they fail to see is while the world has changed in terms of technology and complexity, mankind hasn't changed at all. Even the most secular scientists, and I know I've shared this with you, even the most secular scientists will tell you that the IQ of the average person today is the same as it was 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago. We really have not evolved at all. Intellectually, we just learn a little bit and then we die and somebody t- takes that learns a little more, learns a little more, learns a little more, and that's how we've gotten to where we are today. We haven't changed. We have the same problems, the same Relationship challenges the same needs. We have the same ultimate problem in life and that is called sin. We're all created for the same purpose by the same God, to bring him glory, to have a relationship with God. God created us because he loves us. And as I always say, he he intended for us to love him back. That's our purpose in life. We bring God glory by loving him back. And that comes through obedience and surrender to him. Same need, same problem and same solution. And so what people I need, young people, what you need to understand is, yes, it's a complicated world, but the solution is still the same. He was skeptical. Also in this passage, we see that uh, uh, what what is perhaps the most famous invitation, the most famous invitation. If you look in our passage for today, it's the response uh, that Philip gives him Jesus of Nazareth, the son of, uh, oh, excuse me, uh, who can, what can come from there? What good can come from there? Nathaniel asked, and Philip said this, come and see. You know what Philip didn't do? He didn't give him a five point thing and say, okay, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Bethlehem, you're thinking gruesome, and I understand the theology of that, but Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem and grew up in Nazareth, and that's why this and that, such and such. He doesn't give him any backstory or commentary. He just simply says what? Come and see. We're having a revival in uh, next month, and we have not had a revival in how many years? If you can remember our last revival, raise your hand. <laughs> One, two, Three. All right, great. Well, it's time for revival. <laughs> and so when we have revival next month, I want to challenge you. And you may be sitting there thinking, you know, I can't lead people to the Lord. I didn't go to seminary. Some of you have, have learned verses all your life. You could quote to me verse after verse, chapter after chapter. A few of you might be able to quote to me entire books out of the Bible. Or some of you, You've been a follower of Christ for just a few days or weeks and you don't know a single scripture. You couldn't quote me, John 3.16. Well, I've got good news for you. Wherever you are in whatever category, you can say this, come and see. So I want to challenge you to invite somebody to the revival next month, not because it's just something that we're doing, but because I believe that this revival is important. It's important to the history of this church. It's important to God's kingdom, and it's important to Azle, Texas. And the way that people will come here and their lives will be transformed is if you invite them, and you don't have to give them a lot of backstory. You don't have to quote a lot of passages and memorize a lot of things, but I do challenge you to say this, come and see. We're having a revival. What's that, they may say, a tent revival. They may not even know what that is in the context of this world. All you say is response, in response is, come and see. Come and see, you can do that. The most famous invitation, the truth is every disciple who followed Jesus did so because Christ invited them. He looked them in the eye and called them to follow him. It's the very reason, by the way, this video series is called The Chosen. It's all about Christ choosing people to follow him. Jesus called Nathanael, and I believe that he's calling you as well. I know that from passages like John chapter eight, verse 12. Further down in John, we go to chapter eight, verse 12, it says this, these are the words of Christ. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Christ is giving a universal call. Follow me, and you will never walk in darkness again. In this passage, we perhaps see the most common word of confusion. The most common confusion if you look back in our passage for today in verse forty eight, Jesus meets with Nathaniel, and Jesus says to him, "I know you're a true Israelite. Now Nathaniel is taken aback by that what, what do you what do you mean? And so actually he says in verse forty eight, "How do you know me? How do you know me uh, you know Some of you today, I have never met before this morning. I can ask you questions, but I can't draw any personal conclusions about you because I don't know you. I don't know your heart. I don't know your past. I don't know your personal needs because I'm not Jesus. But Jesus, as God incarnate, knew Nathanael. He knew Nathanael better than Nathanael knew (laughs) Nathanael. And so it was impossible not to have a personal conversation with Jesus. He's always got one up on us because he's God incarnate. Now admittedly, we're missing some information here. The Bible does not include it and the Bible is perfect. And so I will not question why it's not included, but we simply don't know the backstory of why Nathaniel was struggling in the context of this conversation. We know that Jesus talks to him about, I saw you when you were sitting out under the tree and we don't know the backstory behind the tree. What's going on under the tree? But we do know because Nathanael was so shocked by the response of, uh, or excuse me, he was so response, he was, he was so shocked by what Jesus had to say. His response was, you are the son of God right off the bat. So something's going on under that tree. We know this, it wasn't just kind of the scene where Nathaniel was taking a break. He always took his thermos and his lunch kit under the tree every day. And he had his lunch uh, between jobs. And that's where he sat, uh, that it was no big deal. It was just another tree. If it was just another tree, then there was no point in Jesus even bringing it up. We also know this, it must have been a very secluded place because had there been people walking by all the time, Nathaniel would immediately concluded, oh, well, yeah, you saw me under the tree, you and 300 other people. (laughs) So what? So obviously something's going on under the tree and the tree is extremely secluded. There's not a soul around. So what was going on under the tree? Now, Ask me in a hundred years and I'll tell you for sure. Okay, when I get to heaven, I'm going to look up Nathaniel and say, Nathaniel, what's with the tree? You got to tell me. What, What was going on under that tree? What were you dealing with? In The Chosen, the writer believes that Nathaniel could have experienced tremendous loss in his life. In the scene that we're going to see here in a moment under the tree, Nathaniel had just lost his job. And maybe you sympathize with what he's going through. He just lost his job, his reputation, and his future in a building project. He was a builder in a building project that he had dedicated to God, but it crumbled and people were hurt. He's at the lowest moment of his life when he sits down under that fig tree. Watch this beautiful scene. Uh Right. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Face from me. Do you see me? me? All right, he actually quotes one of the Psalms of David uh, to God, and um, um, David is clearly struggling in the Psalm, which he often did. And so he's pleading with God. Don't turn away from me. And so if it wasn't this, Nathaniel was going through something under that tree. Now listen to me. I believe that God allows us, he doesn't cause it, but I do believe he allows us to go through under the tree moments in our life. You're having a tough time. Something's wrong in your life. Maybe you're having an under the tree moment right now. Maybe nobody even knows, but you do. I want you to know what Nathaniel learned. I want you to know that God sees you. He sees us. He knows your pain. He knows your heart. He knows what you're going through. In this passage, we see also perhaps the most bold declaration It's part of the beauty of the passage. Look with me in verse 49. The most bold declaration. It's what about third line down. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, which means teacher, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. So Jesus says one thing to him. I saw you under the tree. And boom, whatever happened under the tree, he knew immediately this is the Messiah. He actually calls him three names. First, he says, Rabbi, teacher. That's something that students said. Does that make sense? He's declaring at that moment, I'm a student of this guy. I'm going to learn from this guy. This is my teacher. Secondly, he said, You are the Son of God. That is substantial, the prophesied Messiah. And then he says, You are the King. Of Israel, right there, he declares Jesus king. It's a wonderful scene. I think that God loves us to make bold declarations about him. We know from the letters to the seven churches in Revelation what God doesn't like is this mediocre, lukewarm kind of approach to God and our love for God. He wants to hear you and me make a declaration before him like Nathaniel. You're my teacher. You're my God. You're my king. So that there's no confusion about the relationship that we have, about who we are and who he is. Rabbi, you're the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I think what's beautiful about this passage is how quickly he gets it. Because not all the disciples got it so quickly. It took some of them months. It took some of them years. And one of them never got it. Judas. But here in this one moment, Nathaniel, he's an observant guy. He did the math in his mind. He heard the words of Jesus and realized, oh my goodness, this is the guy. This is the one. This is the hope that I've been longing for. He gets it. Do you get it? I'm gonna show you one more brief clip of this meeting. It's very brief, but it's very powerful. Watch this. Rabbi. Well, this is a good night. Do you know who stands beside you there? This is my friend, Nathaniel. Yes, the truth teller. I'm sorry? Man is often deceitful, and Israel began with Jacob, a bit of a deceiver, yes? Yes. But one of the great things about you is you are a true Israelite, and, whom no, there is no deceit. What did you say about me? <laughs> What is this? How do you know me? I have known you long before Philip called you to come and see. Don't look at him. Look at me. When you were in your lowest moment, and you were alone, I did not turn my face from you. I saw you under the fig tree. Rob, there it is. You are the son of God, the king of Israel. I knew it. Well, that didn't take long. He doesn't mess around, because I said to you, I saw you under the victory, you believe? (laughs) You are going to see many greater things than that. Like Jacob, you are going to see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That's a great thing. i tell you what I really love is Philip. I think that's a good depiction of Philip. See, Philip, I told you, there was no backstory. He didn't try to explain anything. Philip knew, if I can just get into to Jesus. Philip never had any doubt in his mind, thinking, oh, I hope Jesus does good. I hope he pulls a rabbit out of his hat. I hope he says something really clever uh, and pulls this off. I hope he finds a way maybe to be as convincing as him as he was to me and the other guys. No, there was never any worry. All Philip knew was, all I gotta do, get Nathaniel in front of Jesus and Christ will take care of the rest. It hadn't changed in 2,000 years, by the way. I don't want you to overly complicate the gospel. I don't want you to, to give in to pressure of thinking you have to answer all these questions and have all this knowledge. If you can just get someone into the face of Jesus, he'll take care of the rest. Come and see. The other part I liked about that that particular video, and again, he got it. Do Do you get it? We also see in this passage, and I'll close with this, perhaps the most beautiful destiny, the most beautiful destiny, the most amazing declaration, but also the most beautiful destiny. You just heard it. Look with me in verse 50. Jesus replied to him halfway down. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. Uh, You shall see greater things than that. Then he added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The The writers of the Chosen series noticed, as we all do, that Jesus is making a historical reference here. He's talking about the dream of Jacob. Do you remember this? Way back in Genesis chapter 28, um, uh, Jacob lays down one night, puts his head on a rock for a pillow, and then he has this dream, this vision. And in this vision, he saw this stairway. We call it Jacob's ladder, but it's actually biblically a stairway that goes from earth into heaven. And he sees angels coming and going on this stairway, this connection between earth and heaven. Now, in this passage, Jesus says to Nathanael, you're going to have this vision. You're going to have Jacob's dream. But there's one small change. Did you get it? He says, you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the son of man. That is, Jesus is making a declaration here that there is a connection between earth and heaven, and that connection isn't a stairway, it's not a ladder, it's a person in the name of Jesus Christ. The other famously skeptical disciple, I mentioned him earlier, is what we call or who we call Doubting Thomas. He had a moment of confusion with Jesus after the resurrection when he was he missed, he missed the big appearance, and so he told the disciples, no, nah, I'm not going to believe until I see him, until I touch his wounds in his hands and in his feet. But before his arrest, on the day of his arrest, just a week earlier or four days earlier, he's sitting there with Jesus at the Last Supper, and Jesus told them that he was going to go to heaven. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come and take you to be where I am. You know where I'm going. Well, Thomas had no idea what he was talking about. They just talked talking about heaven, that he was going to die on the cross. It all went right over his head. And then in verse, uh, chapter 14 of verse 5 of the Gospel of John, if you look over there with me in John 14, 5, it says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, listen to this. When Jesus said that at that last supper, Nathanael was sitting there. We don't have anything that Nathanael says, but he's got to be thinking back. Boom. (laughs) I get it. Angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Christ is the way. He's the path into heaven. He's the connection between creation and creator. It's him. Certainly, when Jesus resurrected from, was resurrected from the grave and he spent time with his disciples and they watched him on that hillside that day ascend into heaven during the ascension of Jesus, Nathanael was there. Watching Jesus disappear into the clouds, going into heaven, surely he remembered this statement this day. You will see greater things than that. You're going to see me as the way. Angels coming and going out of heaven. The connection is through me. Are you having an under the tree moment in life right now? There is a path for you a destiny, a way, a link, a stairway. And his name is Jesus. Perhaps the most famous statement of skepticism, how can he be the one? Is followed by the most famous invitation of all. Come and see. The most common confusion, how do you know me, Lord? Is followed by the most bold declaration: "You are the Son of God," and the most beautiful destiny. You will see greater things than these. Is a promise to Nathaniel and to us. Pray with me, Lord. We come to you this morning. We acknowledge we are no different than Nathaniel. We. We are skeptical, we struggle with that in this complex world. It's hard for us to imagine or believe that our solution could be simple. We expect very complicated solutions to complicated problems, but the truth is all that we need in life is found in Christ. All of our problems are actually spiritual problems. And so our solution is a spiritual solution in Him. Lord, we thank you today that you call us as you called Nathaniel. We thank you that you see us while we're under the tree and we're hurting and we're struggling and we're searching. We thank you for the promise of your glory in him. Can I challenge you today? Have you accepted the invitation? Christ is calling, follow me. What will you do? He knows what you're going through. He knows what your struggle is right here, right now and he has not turned his back on you. He sees you. Maybe here in just the next few moments, right where you are, you want to come to him and say, Lord, I believe in faith that you are the son of God. I believe you have not turned your back on me. I believe you see me. It may be, you need to spend some time just thinking Christ for being the way for you. No one's looking around. Would you stand? And as you stand and as you pray, all eyes are closed, all heads are bowed. And as you pray right now, if God is leading and maybe you want to give your life to Christ and just surrender to him like Nathaniel did, this is a Nathaniel moment for you. Just come up and say, pastor, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to surrender to him like Nathaniel did. I believe. I believe could be that you are struggling you've been under the tree you just want to come and kneel and pray god will hear you he heard him he will hear you maybe god is calling you or your family to join with first baptist church you want to come forward to say pastor we'd like to follow god and serve him in this place just that's all you got to do if god is leading right now this invitation is for you while we pray you come